imposing grandeur, the quality or state of being impressive or awesome. The purpose of studying theology and reading books, it's it's not to gain our own intellect, but rather it is to bring us to Him. Because when you see how glorious and how holy and how majestic our Creator is, the more you worship Him. He is our imposing grandeur. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Imposing Grandeur Radio. Today, we are continuing our Fruit of the Spirit series, and we are going to be talking about the Fruit of the Spirit joy. So to kick us off, as always, we want to define what we're talking about. So ladies, how do we define joy? Is it the same as happiness? Are they interchangeable? I have a pretty simple definition to start us off from desiring God that says, first, Christian joy is not an act of willpower, but a spontaneous emotional response of the heart. Christian joy has this in common with all joy, whether Christian or not. And so I thought this was really interesting because I think it's easy when you think of joy to think of it as like happiness of like, I'm trying to be happy. I'm trying to be joyful today. Like it's coming from a place of an act on our own. Um, But joy truly is spontaneous emotional response of the heart. So as Christians, our joy should be in response to the gospel and what God has done in our life. Um, So that was as simple as I could like make it in my brain. And that helped me kind of wrap my brain around it. Yeah, Avery, I really like that too. And um, I found also Desiring God said, I thought this was interesting because when we were talking about love, we were talking about how love is not necessarily a feeling. But when you read about joy, joy is a feeling. And um, John Piper defines it as a good feeling. And then he says too, it's not physical but it's soulful. It comes from the heart or the soul, and it's produced solely by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And he says, my soul imparts virtue, right or wrong, to the physical parts of me. So he said, he gave the example of, um, like, uh, he feels an emotion, and if that emotion leads him to punch somebody, then that emotion is wrong, but if that, or that action is wrong. But if he feels joy or comfort and that leads him to like hug somebody, that's a good virtue. That's something from the spirit. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. I'd never thought too much about that. But then I searched from a secular psychologist and they actually in the psychology realm define joy and happiness very differently, which I thought was interesting. So it's not even just a Christianity thing. It's truly... um a scientific thing. And she says that joy is intrinsically motivated emotion that comes from something deep inside. So we as Christians would know that's the Holy Spirit, that's the Word of God producing joy inside of us, whereas happiness is solely extrinsically motivated and based on circumstances or others. Like um, the weather could make me really happy, but it's not going to make me joyful. Or my friend could make me really happy, but not joyful. Whereas Christ and the scriptures and the Holy Spirit can produce joy inside of me. So I thought that was like really interesting to hear what a secular scientist had to say about all of that. That's interesting because I actually have the flip side of it, um, talking about happiness and pleasure. 
Um, I found that Christian joy is not flimsy or shallow. It's deep and solid. However, happiness and pleasure can be looked at as flimsy or shallow like you touched on. But we see pleasure and happiness in scripture too. So it can also mean the same as joy does. However, we know that, like you were saying, joy is deep and built upon the foundation of the gospel and truth. And we know that joy can still abound even in the midst of deep heartache, struggle, and pain. And I was just thinking through how like a lot of times in the Psalms, um, David talks a lot about, you know, happy is the heart that, you know, trusts in the Lord or talks about pleasure and kind of couples it with joy. And so I think our secular world has made happiness circumstantial in some ways, but when we do kind of take it back to the bare bones of scripture, we see that happiness, pleasure, and joy can all kind of be coupled in different, depending on the circumstance and, and how we're reacting, why we're feeling happiness or pleasure or joy. I like that. Yeah. I think similarly to what we were talking about in the last Fruit of the Spirit episode, love, we can also conclude here, like we've kind of been hinting at is that true joy is found only in the Lord. So Jonathan Newton, actually the author of Amazing Grace, said in one of his works that um, the fruit of joy will not grow in nature's barren soil. And so like we stressed in that last episode, and I'm sure in the episodes to come, these are the fruit of the spirit. So this is not the fruit of carnal man or the fruits of humanity in general. Um, But it's not to say that an unbeliever is not incapable of being happy. But there's also that difference between happiness and joy. Um, And so like Annie, you were talking about in the psychology world, like extrinsic versus intrinsic happiness is what the world is seeking. And we see this everywhere. It depends on the outward circumstances for this happiness. So like prosperity, it always seems to be just around the corner, you know, like just out of a person's reach. And we can see it for ourselves today without even going on the endeavor of chasing that happiness. Um, The next big thing today, whether that be a movie, music, public figure, etc., it will not always be the big thing. Worldly happiness and the pursuit thereof is temporary at best. And taking a few steps back from this, it's like, thank goodness that this is not what God is talking about in Scripture when he mentions the fruit of the Spirit being joy, because if we were always to be chasing this mirage of happiness, it would only leave us to discouragement and discontentment, and even doubt in God's ability to provide for us. So Christian joy is this inward, not depending on circumstances um, type of deal. It is real and present. It it does not depend on the future. It is within our grasp right now as we speak, while you listen to the podcast, while you make coffee tomorrow morning, and it, it is eternal. So we're assured of a joyful future. And like Annie and Avery were saying, it is a feeling. I mean, we see in Matthew 18, 13, the shepherd experienced joy when he found his lost sheep. The multitude felt joy when Jesus healed a Jewish woman from being bound by Satan for 18 years in Luke 13, 17. And the disciples returned to Jerusalem rejoicing after Jesus's ascension in Luke 24, 52. And so there are many examples of this joyful feeling in scripture, but joy is also a command for us as believers. So it's more than a feeling. It is a feeling. But it has this action dynamic. And I think this is where Christian joy is very unique. This joy is present regardless of how the person feels. So it is current. It is eternal. It is present regardless of our external circumstances. So Christ instructed his disciples to rejoice when they were persecuted, reviled, and slandered. Matthew 5, 11 through 12. Paul in Philippians 4, 4 and in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 says rejoice always. And then James tells Christians in James 1, 2 to count it all joy when you walk through those various trials. 
Um, so this joy in adverse circumstances is only possible as a fruit of the Holy Spirit who is present in every Christian. Um, so, but I thought that that was really, that's been such a unique quality of the Christian life is to have that joy in those hard circumstances. And I think that's what sets us apart from the world because the world sees us going through these hard times and yet we are rejoicing. And they wonder, how do we even possess the ability to do so? And it is only because of the Holy Spirit that we have that as an explanation. Yeah, that was that was really good. I liked how you tied all of that together and um, applied a lot of really wonderful scripture to that. Um, which leads us to our next topic of how does joy and hard circumstances intertwine? Like you're talking here, Alexa, about how Joy is a feeling, but it also supersedes feelings, and we are commanded to be joyful. And um, yeah, so how when and we've also known Christians have experienced really, really hard moments in their life, uh, some leading it to their death. And it's like, how do we be joyful in that? How do we rejoice? Like, how do these things work together? Um, well, yeah. we see in scripture that joy can abound, flourish, and grow deeper in affliction. Like in Romans 5 3, we rejoice in our sufferings. Or 1 Thessalonians 1 6, you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Or 2 Corinthians 8 2, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of liberality. We see this even in when Paul describes himself as someone who is joyful even in his suffering. Like in 2 Corinthians 6.10, where he describes himself as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. And um, I've experienced this in my life just in the past two years, dealing with the loss of four grandparents between my husband and I, and just feeling the lowest of lows of grief while still feeling the mountaintops of joy when I embrace the fact that my God has defeated death and one day this deep pain that I feel now will not be for eternity. I can be crushed but not destroyed. I can grieve but not like someone without hope. Um, and Matthew Henry says that the joy and peace of believers arise chiefly from their hopes. What is laid out upon them is but little compared with what is laid up for them. Therefore, the more hope that we have, the more joy and peace Christians have. Christians should desire and labor after an abundance of hope. And so I, I know from my personal experience that the joy of the gospel and the truth and hope of Christ far surpasses any suffering that we experience here. And that joy is lifelong and eternal. And even if we don't always feel joyful, we still have that hope that never wavers or fails. And that is something that makes me eternally joyful and something that I want to um, always remember when I am suffering. Because as Christians, we are promised suffering. God has promised that we will suffer and we are called to be joyful even in that suffering. Wow, Avery, thank you for sharing all of that. Um, I have a quick little blurb from a poem, actually, that I came to my mind and correlates with what you were saying, Avery. And um, I'll just read a part of it. It says, hard moments when once again sin rules the heart. Hard moments when so many things are broken. Hard moments, but I am not alone. Hard moments, yet I am never left to my limited resources. Hard moments in your hands become hard moments of transformation. Hard moments in your hands become hard moments of amazing grace. And um, 
I just think so much about that, how it's like, you're right, God promises Christians a hard life and suffering, but God is also faithful, like we talked about in our God uh, Attributes of God series, and he holds to his promises, and in those things we can cling to, and those things can be the source of our joy and hard trials and knowing what God promises, knowing he's not going to leave me, knowing he's doing this to sanctify me, to make me more like Christ, or um, just giving more opportunities for his grace. And so those are things all far worthy of joy. And so um, I really like that. that, Annie. And I also wanted to comment on just your question of why are we commanded to have a joyful heart? And I found a quote by Desiring God. I believe John Piper wrote the article. um, And he says, why are we commanded to have a joyful heart? Why? Because we ought to have it. God is infinitely worthy of our delight. And because the only thing standing between the command of God to rejoice and our experience of that joy is a sinful heart. A heart that delights more in the things of the world than in God. And if we try to excuse our disobedience by saying, I can't rejoice in God, I have a sinful heart, our words will not excuse us, they will condemn us. Um, And this was humbling to me because I think so often I find delight in the world and joy in the world. And it's so easy to, on a day to day basis, even as a believer, to just be like, oh, I just feel. I don't know, the season of life, whether it's winter or, you know, you're having a spiritual winter or, you know, you're in a current winter state where the sky is just gross. It makes you feel depressed. It's so easy for us to find joy in our circumstances and be like, oh, I wish that I had A, B, and C, or I wish I was doing this, or I wish I was with this person. That would make me joyful. And, um, you know, sometimes it's not coupled with this extreme sorrow where you are clinging to the Lord and you find this joy and mountaintop of joy, even in your valley of grief. It may be the day-to-day mundane that we have to practice being joyful when we are tempted to find our joy in the world instead. Yeah, that's a good point, Avery. And it leads us to the elephant in the room. Um, Somebody may be listening and they may think, well, you're talking about joy. I'm a Christian. I know I'm a Christian. Why don't I feel joy? Or somebody who has once felt joy and now doesn't feel joy, they might be wondering, why don't I feel joy anymore? And I think this leads us to the point, or the question rather, of does Christian joy come after obedience to Christ or before obedience to Christ? A big point to really emphasize is that when we are living in disobedience to Christ, our joy will be minimal to non-existent. So if you're a believer and you're thinking, I don't have any joy, I would really reflect on your life. But we also must not think of this endeavor simply as a, I've got to obey so that I can enjoy kind of cycle. We turn obedience as something we do first and then all joy in Jesus follows. It creates this legalistic model of do this in order to attain this mentality with no Christ exalting worth and therefore not leading to true enjoyment of Jesus. And John Piper, what who we have referenced a lot throughout this podcast, um, for a big reason. I mean, he's well known for um, voicing this Christian hedonism in short, meaning God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And he's known for talking about God being a God of joy and the inexpressible joy that we find in him. And so he focuses on this supposed dichotomy of obedience to Christ and joy in Christ. And he warns us that our greatest enjoyment of Christ can only be enjoyed in a robust state of obedience. So this is something to keep in the back of our mind while we impact this concept. 
Knowing that obedience is necessary for enjoyment, he then continues on focusing on the relationship between obedience to Christ and enjoyment in Christ. So stay with me. But Piper asks, do you think that obedience to Jesus is distinct from enjoying Jesus? In other words, is it accurate to think of obeying him as one thing and then a result of doing that, this other thing happens called enjoying him? And then he's like, it's not really like that, is this? And there are two reasons why it isn't like that. Because one, we are commanded to enjoy him, like Avery was just talking about. Psalms 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. And so obedience is the enjoyment of God. It is not just the cause of enjoyment. And then secondly, all Christ-honoring obedience is rooted in treasuring and enjoying Jesus. So it wouldn't be accurate to say that enjoying Jesus is only the result of obedience. It's a part of our obedience, the cause of our obedience, and the very root of our obedience. So this treasuring of Jesus only happens when we love him more than anything else and are being saturated in his word. And if we aren't and we're loving things more than him, straying from his words and neglecting to abide in him, we will experience a loss of joy. So if you're listening to this episode and you're like, I don't have joy, why don't I have joy? There is a reason why you may not have joy right now. We will be deprived from that intimacy with Christ because we are walking in sin. And this is important. So knowing this, where do we where do we begin? Where does the battle lie? What do we need to know and take away from all of this information? All Christ-exalting, gospel-rooted obedience is from faith. We see in Romans 1.5 that through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So, in short, our obedience that comes from faith is for the sake of his name. So faith is savoring the truth and beauty of Jesus in the gospel. So yes, let us cease from all outward sin because that will block us from joy in Christ. But let us also cast our special intentional focus to the inward blindness that we also need to overcome. We need to fuel our faith and view of Christ. We need to be renewed daily in our understanding of who he is and how glorious he is. Recount the deeds of the Lord. Meditate on his promises and glory. Put yourself in situations to fearfully be in awe of his majesty. You know, watch those sunsets, sunrise, go to the mountains, or just Google how vast space is because it's truly incredible. Um, And that's our whole motto here at Imposing Grandeur. The more you learn about him, the more you become in awe of him. And so while we are doing this, fueling our faith in him through scripture and song, meditating on who he is as a savior, servant, king, father, friend, our obedience then is not a tribute to our own willpower, but to the beauty of Christ and his ability to break the power of the deceitfulness of sin over us. So we must Take this joy that we have in Christ and nurture it. We need, to, we need to know about him. If you're saying that, oh, I don't have joy in Christ, and yet you are not fueling your faith with meditating on his word and studying him and meditating on his promises, or if you are not following his commands for your life and you are loving the world more than him, you won't have joy. You won't. It's not possible. You're not abiding in the spirit. You're not walking in step with the spirit. So why would you have an attribute of the spirit? You know, and I think like, that's not to say you aren't a believer at all. That is to say, though, that is a very serious thing because for a believer, joy is not optional. It's command. And so it's not just like, oh, well, this is a little perk of being a Christian. I get to be happy. No, it's something that we're commanded to do. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Um, So I think that this is such a great topic and it's really beautiful that we serve a God who wants us to be joyful. I mean, it's truly just amazing when you think about it in that way. 
but it's also very serious. And it, it causes you to take that internal inventory and reflect on, am I loving things more than Jesus? Am I putting idols above him in my life? Why is it that I don't feel this? Why is it that I'm not obeying this command? Um, but yeah. I love that, Alexa. It was so encouraging. Um, and just reminded me too that as you were talking, like as much as it is on us to have faith and to be looking to the Lord. Um, for this joy, we must also rely on the Holy Spirit to cultivate this in us. It's not something that we can do on our own. And God will totally partner with us in that. Like you said, he wants us to be joyful. He commands us to be joyful. Um, And we've all been there. We've all been in seasons of life where we're not joyful when we should be. And I think I forget to come to the Lord and, and be like, God, I am not joyful. Help me to be joyful in this this mundane season I'm in. I have nothing that I feel like I can be joyful for except for what you've done in my life. So help me take what I feel about the gospel and the truth and the redeeming qualities of you and what you've done in my life and help that to extend and overflow into this life that I'm living here and help me to be joyful in the mundane and in the little things and find simple joy in the graces and mercies of a new day and being able to breathe and wake up in the morning and serve him, even if it doesn't look grand or beautiful in the way that maybe we imagine or want in our life. Um, and God will do that. He is faithful to answer our prayers, especially when we are walking in obedience, persevering in affliction. We are constant in prayer. We are delving into his word. Um, he will answer those prayers and be faithful and go before us in it. Right. And like you were saying, Avery, this is not our own doing. And I'm speaking honestly primarily because I know that feeling that we all have had where we just feel numb, like spiritually numb. We're not joyful Christians. Like we get to this point to where we do feel that. And I... I mean, studying even this topic, the fruit of the spirit joy, it's like, this is serious because one, God wants us to be joyful. And I'm like, you could one day just be like, why am I not joyful? Like God said that I would be joyful or I want to be joyful or all this stuff. And then you take a look at your life and it's like, I am saturating my mind and thoughts with world, like the world. I'm scrolling endlessly on social media or I'm watching these TV shows that are not like training me for godliness or maybe I'm hanging out with friends who are not encouraging me in my faith and are just um, influencing me in other ways. And we're worshipful beings. Anything that we're doing, that's going to affect us. You know, we're wanting to worship something. So if you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping something. But I think like we are so easily influenced that if we're, if we get to that spiritually numb state, we have to reflect on what are we filling our lives with? Like, if I'm not joyful, then something is not not right in my own intake, you know, like intake versus outtake, like garbage in, garbage out. And we hear that growing up, you know, like what you put into your mind, that's what you're going to outflow. And I think like joy, being joyful is such a beautiful thing. And if we aren't joyful, we need to ask ourselves, are we truly recounting God's deeds? Are we wanting... Or are we studying his word? Are we seeking to imitate him? And are, are we reflecting on him? And um, so, yeah, I think it's just, it's an internal inventory check for all of us. And all, 
absolutely, this is a work of the Holy Spirit. He gets all the glory for um, him giving us the willpower to defeat that sin in our lives. But I think there's the obedience aspect of we can't just sit back and say, God, just give me joy or God, just do this. Like we have to monitor what we're exposing ourselves to and how we are using the resources around us. Is it pointing us to God godliness or is it just filling our mind with junk? Because that's going to influence us. Yeah, I 100% agree with everything that you were both saying. I mean, it's literally there in scripture. And um, lastly, I just wanted to emphasize that point that you both have brought up, that it is a work of the Holy Spirit, but we are not passive in that like any fruit of the Spirit. You have to actively be pursuing um, this part of your sanctification process. However, you contribute nothing to being justified, therefore being saved by Jesus Christ in the gospel. But this doesn't save you. This is what makes you more like Christ, and you are not passive in that. You are a very active role in that. And like Alexo is even saying, when you find that you are a joyless Christian and your life is lacking, that's because you're being a passive, you're taking a passive role in um, the fruit of the Spirit and trying to produce those things. And um, yeah, I just think what you ladies both, you hit on pretty much everything that are the reason we have joy is because of Christ. It is Christ in, in of himself that is the essence of our joy not circumstances, nothing we can do, but we can pursue Christ and therefore have joy as a result. And so, but also the pursuit is joyful in and of itself. So it's really this amazing thing that you both touched on. And um, it truly is amazing to me that Christianity or Christ is the only place that you see this type of joy distributed or um, showing because anything in the world is just so fleeting and so temporary and yet just all the more an opportunity for God's grace in our life because how quickly are we do we pursue the worldly and the temporal when we know that we have this everlasting joy right there and so um before we move on to our final segment do y'all have any more tips about like practical tips on how to cultivate joy as more than a feeling like Avery, you touched on seasons of life that were just really, really hard, um, losing grandparents and depressing. And how did you have joy in that? And Alexa, like you mentioned, we've all been through that numb feeling. Like, let's just talk about some more practical tips we can have on how to cultivate joy, even when we have really depressing and hard circumstances. That's a really good question. Um, just because it's easy to say all of this, but to be in obedience and to actually act and um, be striving towards this is hard and sometimes a lot harder or easier said than done. Um, I know for me, something that really helped me was um, at the end of the day, even if it was a very hard day, thinking back and trying to recount things that I saw the Lord's mercy in, even if it felt like a circumstance that was frustrating or annoying or Maybe it wouldn't even be considered a simple joy. But thinking back through and being like, God, thank you for, I don't know, making me late for whatever because I wouldn't have been able to see this person and talk to them and feel encouraged by them. Or um, thank you for giving me an extra 10 minutes this morning to be in your word and to be in prayer. 
Um, or if you're driving somewhere, you're driving to work, driving to the grocery store, like instead of turning on, you know, music that maybe is not worshipful to the Lord, turn on a podcast. If you're like, oh, I'm feeling joyless today. Okay, I'm going to turn on a podcast about joy, or I'm going to turn on the Dwell app and listen to a playlist on joyful verses in scripture. Um, filling your mind, like Alexa was talking, the garbage in, garbage out, filling your mind with things that are going to turn your face and yourself and your circumstances to facing the Lord and feeling worshipful in everyday moments and things that maybe would be considered mundane or ordinary. Um, So that was helpful for me. And I think also just reaching out to your brothers and sisters in Christ, asking for prayer from other people too, if you're feeling joyless and reaching out and being like, please encourage me, pray for me that I would be encouraged that I would be motivated to obey the Lord and to walk in pursuit of Him um, and not just silently suffering through what you're going through um, because there is such a joy in coming together and sharpening with other bodies of um, believers and just the Christian community in general. Avery, yes, that's that's great. Um, I I agree. I think the community of the saints is such a blessing to us throughout this entire experience. Um, in terms of spiritually numb, I feel like one, I'm not talking to no one because I feel like if you're listening and you're a Christian, you have experienced this or you're about to experience this because we are all susceptible to sin. Um, but just say, for example, you haven't had time in the word for maybe two weeks um, you've been filling your mind with just some secular things, like not even bad, like inherently bad things, just like looking at memes or like scrolling through videos, like funny videos or whatever. But I found that when I get spiritually numb, usually it's like it has to end with repentance. Like that is the first step. You can't just say, okay, you know what? I'm not going to be spiritually numb today. Let me turn on a worship song and just worship. You need to repent because you have neglected the king of the universe for that amount of time. Um, And I think it's not only spiritually numb, but it's also this sense of we are numb to who God is. We are numb to who we are. We are not only numb in pursuing a relationship with him, but if we truly grasped who we were in his eyes as sinners, who we were or who we are with Christ's righteousness in his eyes now and who he is as the king of the universe, you know, like there's so many feelings that we should be feeling, right? Like I'm even saying that now and I'm like, those truths are insane. Like substitutionary atonement, the fact that Christ died for us and gives us righteousness like why are we not all bawling our eyes out with every single recollection of that I just feel like that's just such an amazing truth but there are days that you're just like driving in your car and you're like I just don't feel that like why don't I feel that just pour your heart out to God I mean I've done this many times uh I call them my David sessions in the car like you literally just like kind of like in the Psalms when David just starts crying and then he just rejoices you know it's like this back and forth thing it's like just pour your heart out to him, explain to him what you're feeling, what you've experienced, what you're what's going on in your mind. Pour that out to him and then repent and then rejoice knowing that he's accepting you. His mercy is new every morning. You are the prodigal son returning. Like there is such a beauty there that you can rejoice in. So, I think starting off with repentance, confessing to the Lord, 
ending it in praise, knowing that he is loving, he is merciful, and he is gracious, and he is there with open arms. I mean, I love the illustration of whenever you like turn away from your relationship with the Lord, you can walk like five miles or two miles or whatever. But like when you turn back to him, you don't have to walk five miles or two miles back. You walk back to him and you turn around and he's there ready with open arms. You know, you don't have to like build yourself back up to be this amazing Christian. You know, you just, you confess, you repent, and then you turn back and he's there. You know, like he, whom he predestined, he has called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he is also glorified. So Romans 8, he has secured you as a follower of Christ. You are not, if you're truly his, you will not walk away from the faith. He will hold you fast. So taking that into heart and knowing that, but also being, um, intentional about pursuing him because um living a joyless life is not fun even if it's for two weeks if it's for a day it's it's truly something that is terrifying thank you ladies for both sharing that um i think our listeners will be greatly encouraged as i know i was um and unless either of y'all have any last thoughts we can move into our ig hot seat let's do it Alrighty then. So I actually came up with this question while we were recording. I thought it went uh, along with what we've been talking about. But I know I have um, like a verse or a poem or a prayer that in season, hard seasons, I have clung to, to remind me of the gospel and my hope. Um, Do y'all have any verses or poems, songs, whatever that you cling to in hard moments that you're trying to cultivate that joy in? I need to, I feel like, get this tattooed or something. Annie, you're probably like, no, this is exactly not what you should do. But I I truly, for the past years, have been just reflecting on Psalm 8411. And that is, um, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor and no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly and ugh, like so if i really want something or if i am not getting something that i felt like was so necessary in order to continue the next season of my life or even the day um i reflect on that truth knowing that no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly if something doesn't happen if i don't get something or if a prayer is not answered how i wanted it to happen that was not for my good and reflecting on that like it truly just changes any situation into this optimistic um reality in view of the gospel god is not out to hinder us he is not out to cause um sadness or anger or confusion he is a god of peace he's a god who um does not withhold good from those who walk uprightly and so knowing that he is not a god who withholds good from us i think that just changes the entire ball game so I, I i'm definitely i love words and i love poems and verses and so there are many other things that i love but that verse i think reigns paramount in all of the ones that I've referred to over the years. So I'm hoping that that can encourage somebody else listening to this, knowing that God is there for your good. Suffering will come. It will, because this world is broken and sinful, and this is not our home. But the God that we serve does not desire for you to fall into sadness, confusion, and anger. Um, So remembering that. 
Beautiful, Alexa. I love that. It's so encouraging. Um, and something I remembered while you were talking was Lamentations 3, a verse that I clung to a lot this past year, which is, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Um, and this verse has just stuck with me in seasons of happiness and in seasons of sorrow and grief. Um, and speaking to another song that has been I think something I've listened to on my Spotify playlist over and over and over the past year is um, the Shane and Shane song. I know it's a cover, but it's Christ, Our Hope, and Life and Death. And just talking about how no matter in life or in death, the gospel is the same and doesn't change. Um, God stays the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so no, no matter what I'm walking through, he is constant. And even as my world shifts like sinking sand and I change and I fail and I stumble, God does not. And we can cling to that. That is hope worth standing on and the rock that I want to stand on and be firm and never um, be shaken from. Um, And so anyway, that song came to mind when thinking through a song that's brought me great joy in times of deep sorrow. Yes, I love both those things that you ladies shared, um, and I know you both have shared them with me before, and they as well have been great sources of comfort in hard seasons for me. Um, for me, I mean, I read a little blurb from the poem that I really like earlier, so I won't repeat that, but there's this book of prayers that I'm sure we've talked about before on here or on our Instagram uh, called Valley Vision, and um, they're Puritan prayers, and the first one is actually not written by a Puritan. It's written by the guy that compiled all the Puritan prayers, but he says in it, um, the deeper thy wells, the brighter thy stars shine, and that really, he's talking about Christ, and that stuck with me for a really hard season of my life, um, I guess like a year ago, and uh, I just always think about that, like the deeper the wells, the more like hard my circumstances or depressed I feel, like the more glorious God looks, the brighter his stars shine. So I always think about that um, whenever I'm going through hard moments. And um, yeah, there's like several other things. Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery was also like my song last year. I listened to that nonstop. It's just, if you look up the lyrics or listen to it, it's just the essence of the mm-hmm. gospel. It is such a wonderful song. I really clung to that too. It brought me a lot of joy and peace during mm-hmm. hard seasons. Um oh man, that last that last part of the song where it's like, what a foretaste of deliverance. Like how unwavering our hope. Yeah. Man, just even thinking about the lyrics, I'm like, whoa, let's sing that in heaven right now. <laughs> but um yeah. So thank you both for sharing. Um, I think this is probably a really encouraging episode for anybody that's listening. I know I've been super encouraged. So with that being said, tune in next time for our Fruit of the Spirit piece. Um, we'll be talking about that. <laughs>